Jesus Christ is the light of the world. The light of darkness can overcome. Stay with us, Lord, for it is evening. And the day is almost over. Let your light scatter the darkness. our sin in the presence of God and of one another. O holy and gracious God, I confess that I have sinned against you this day. Some of my sin I know, the thoughts and words and deeds of which I am ashamed. But some is known only to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask forgiveness. Deliver and restore me that I may rest in peace. By the mercy of God, we are redeemed by Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In His stead and by His command, I forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Rest now in His peace. Amen. Amen. readings for this Lenten service from the Old Testament lesson of Genesis, the 22nd chapter, verses 1 through 14. And after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And so Abraham rose early in the morning, and he saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. 
And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, and he laid the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For I know know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle lesson from the first chapter of Hebrews, verses 1 through 9. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you, or again I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son, and again when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of a brightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. This is the word of the Lord. We stand in respect of Christ, of whom the Holy Gospel is read. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 19th chapter. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments 
and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom, and so they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. And this was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And so the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. This is the gospel of our Lord. Deliver me, O Lord my God, for you are the God of my salvation. Rescue me from my enemies. Protect me from Lead me not, O Lord my God. Rescue me from my enemies. Protect me from those Deliver me, O Lord my God, for you are the God of my salvation. Rescue me from my enemies. Our catechetical confession from Luther's small catechism, the fourth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not despise or anger our parents and other authorities, but honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them.
grace and peace be yours from God our Father, from our Lord Jesus Christ. Dear friends, we've been talking about words, those ambassadors of the soul. We've been talking about Christ's words, his words from the cross, the very ones he so carefully chose and so intentionally delivered with his dying breath. We've heard thus far his plea for pardon of those who have done him wrong. We've reflected in these weeks upon the words of promised paradise to all who lift their sighs and their eyes and their cries to him for help. Tonight we hear still more words, more ambassadors of his. We hear this time words of preparation. Tonight we hear words of providential arrangement. St. John writes, there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. And these words of our Lord, they serve as our text tonight for this meditation. Putting one's house in order is something that's done when death is at hand. And it's nothing new. We hear of this preparatory practice in the book of 2 Kings way back then when the prophet Isaiah came to King Hezekiah. And he said to him, put your home in order, for you shall die. When death seems imminent, it's a good time to put our house or to put our home in order. Now, I don't know what was involved, all that was involved in Hezekiah's day. But when we put things in order, it tends to mean that the necessary documents are signed. It means that unconcluded legal matters are resolved. We tie up all these loose ends. Sometimes that's in writing, but sometimes... Sometimes it means that we, we say the things that need to be said, things that we certainly wouldn't leave unsaid. Provisions, too, are made for those who will remain in this world after we've been well borne away by the angels. Putting the house in order. Well, we hear a bit about that tonight. Christ, Jesus, as a son, a dutiful son, and yet, as Lord and governor of all circumstances, puts a few things in order before he gives up his spirit. And surely, even as these few words, directed really toward two people, but we know that they speak intentionally to us about the heart of our Lord. Think about it, with the weight of the world on his shoulders, literally on his shoulders, he's got the well-being of others in his mind. This is his funeral so to speak. This is his funeral and he's making arrangements for others. With these seven words of his that we consider tonight, Christ is arranging perhaps far more than we would first realize. As tonight we survey the wondrous cross and we hear these words that certainly were meant for us, we might put ourselves into the place and into the mind of the mother of our Lord, Mary, who stands in such a unique position. There she was. There she was at arm's length from her son. A proximity, I would suppose, she'd been 
and become well used to by now. After all, how many nights had she only 30-some years ago? How many nights had she drawn him close in the still and in the deep of the night to, to silence his infant cries or his whimpers? How often had she been the mother's magic touch to wipe away a young boy's tear or to kiss away the pain of scrapes or falls? How often had she sat that close, reclining with him at table, a mother and her son? But what must have been in her heart at that hour? What must have been in her heart at that hour a treasury of memories, moments, special moments, surely miraculous moments, so many things that she had so long kept and pondered in her heart. To see him there still about his father's business to the very bitter end. And then recalling that in fact she hadn't been so faithfully about his father's business in life. You see, as they say, no parent should have to watch his or her child die, and that's the truth, but imagine doing so, knowing that you're the one whose faults put your own to death. That's where Mary stood. There to see him still about his father's business, even unto death, when she had been less than faithful throughout her life. There he is as a man, when she watched him day in and day out grow in wisdom and in stature before her, before God, certainly before man. He was the perfect son, ever bearing patiently with an imperfect mother, always, though, honoring her with every thought of his and every gesture of his, just as, just as the law of God and what we call the fourth commandment would not only imply but require of us. What must have pierced her heart in this hour, recalling that to her son, rather to her, her son and Lord, once at Cana's wedding, did say, Woman, my hour has not yet come. And yet now it had come. That painful hour had come, and now he once again addresses her lovingly, saying, Woman, behold now your son. What a statement, though, isn't it? Behold your son. For as he was there with those words, arranging for her future good, how could she help but there? Behold her own son arranging there for her temporal and for her eternal good, there at arm's length on the cross. Behold your son. But what about us? What about us? You know, we're not distant bystanders, as it might seem. In a very scriptural way, we share in Mary's maternal and her parental pain. Remember the words of Isaiah? who heralded to us the birth announcement, for unto us, he said, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. He's ours in a very real way. And yes, with the faults of his mother, our faults too required his death. As tonight we stand at arm's length and we behold him on the cross, 
Recall the moments of our life. Remember how patiently he's borne with us too, with us who have been far less than perfect. Think on how we've not always been about the Father's business. Think about how we've not always been faithfully about pursuing his will. And yet remember how kindly indeed he has dealt with us, our Lord Jesus Christ, whom he does not hesitate. Our Lord does not. He doesn't hesitate to call us indeed, his brothers and his sisters and his mother. With his words and by his work upon the cross, Christ wasn't simply there providing for his mother alone. He was most certainly setting things in order for you and for me also. Putting the house in order, that's what he was doing. Putting the house in order. Recall what he had said just hours before in that upper room. Recall what he had said about putting things in order. He said to the disciples, I go now to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. With wooden beams, friends, and nails, and his blood, and sweat, and agonizing tears, he prepared mansions above for us. He collected all of our wrongs, and by his death he made us right before God, and therefore forgiven, he made paradise ours before long. He caught himself in sin's thicket for us. And on that blessed mount, Calvary, truly God did indeed provide the sacrifice. He said, woman, behold your son. And to the disciple there standing nearby whom he loved, he said to him, behold your mother. Those are loving words. Loving words of providential care from a cross of providential care. Tonight's words are words that perhaps seem like very sad commentary on a very tragic ending to what otherwise would be a very inspirational and a very interesting story. But dear friends, you know well, the suffering and death of our Lord and his words with which he leaves his mother tonight, it's not about endings at all. Indeed, it's about a new beginning. For just as a man will leave his father and his mother and be joined to his bride and the two will become one flesh, so Christ on the cross there is joined to his bride, his dear church. Leaving his father in heaven, and descending to us and leaving his mother with the disciple whom he loved, Christ Jesus bound himself to his bride. And just like for the first bride of the first Adam, just like her life was drawn from his side as he slept in a deep sleep, so also the bride of the second Adam, Jesus Christ, she derives her life from his side as he was there on the cross in the deep sleep of death as the water and the blood issued forth from the riven side of that second Adam, Jesus Christ. And that's water and that's blood that gives life to the bride of Christ. For that sacramental water and that sacramental blood, which is combined with God's word, these give life. They gave it and they give life continually to the bride of Christ, his church. And the church has long 
seen those holy sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper reflected in the, that holy bodily water and that shed blood that issued forth from, from the side of Christ. You need only look here in our own sanctuary at the crucifixion window that depicts it so beautifully. You see, this event is no sad ending for us. The house is put in order, but not to prepare for some sad and tragic end, but finally to prepare and rather to prepare for a new and for a glorious beginning. The marriage of Christ to his bride, the church. And we sing so vividly of it in those well-loved words of that familiar hymn, that Christian hymn, the church's one foundation. You know it well. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. And with his blood he bought her And for her life he died. It is no sad ending indeed, but for the bride of Christ, the cross event, it's a new and it's a beautiful beginning. And joined to us, he will be faithful to us. More more than a wedding ring that many of us wear, more than a wedding ring that's just a static reminder or a static seal of, of our union with the spouse, Christ has given us his own word. And his own sacraments is a seal, but not a static seal. Dynamic these things are. To work in our lives the vow that he has made to us, his church, his bride. That vow that promises, I will love her and comfort her and honor her and keep us her members in sickness and in our health. In worldly poverty and wealth, never ever forsaking her, but faithfully being a husband to her, as eternally long as I, the risen Lord, shall live. The words of St. Paul tonight are so appropriate for us, where he writes that Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and, and without blemish. It is indeed like we sing in that Lenten hymn, like we'll likely sing a couple weeks from now. Indeed, that's love to the loveless shown that they too might lovely be. Friends, having been so loved through his words and his work, would we then, his dear brothers and his sisters, his mother, the disciples whom he indeed has loved, would we not also endear the charge given from the cross and behold one another and in love tend to each other in our needs? And so we take to heart tonight our Lord's word, knowing knowing these words that we hear, knowing that they weren't intended only for his mother and for John. They're meant for all of his disciples whom he loves. And they're for all people, the world over. Because for all, he's put the necessary things in order. 
for all he's done, the preparation. But it is with us, his beloved bride, the church, it's with us that he does share the spoils and the splendor of his suffering, death, and his resurrected life. We keep that in mind as we go our ways tonight. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Rise and sing with me now our post-sermon hymn.
Heavenly Father, you have given your Son for our sins and for the sins of the whole world. Throughout these days of Lent, keep our eyes fixed upon our Lord Jesus Christ and him crucified. Through his precious words from the cross, may we see your loving heart from his holy wounds on the cross. May the forgiveness of sins flow through baptism and your holy supper to keep us in the faith unto life everlasting. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord Jesus, as we behold you on the cross, we see how you have ordered and how you have prepared for us a place in your Father's house. As members of your dear bride, the Church, enable us by your Holy Spirit to behold and care also for one another, those closest to us in life, and also the least of all our brethren, that through us your good will is accomplished for the good of others and to the glory of your name. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. To that end, O Lord, open our hearts to the sick and the suffering among us, that they may know of our love and concern, keep and comfort them with the knowledge of your love and concern, and bless them with grace sufficient to meet the challenges of each of their days. Grant them relief through health restored here on earth, or patient endurance unto that day when perfect health is restored in heaven. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. O God, our Father, by whose guiding and providing hand we have been brought safely to the end of this day, we pray you stay with us throughout this night and shelter us in its quiet hours, that we who are wearied and worn from the changes of this passing world may rest in your unchanging grace and peace. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has taught us to pray for ourselves and for others, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have graciously kept me this day. And I pray that you would forgive me all my sins where I have done wrong and graciously keep me this night. For into your hands I commend myself my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all. Amen.